Welcome to the Catch Them and Keep Them podcast with Melissa Glennie and Mark Altman. We're here to help you hire, engage, and retain the best talent to help you make your vision a reality. Welcome back, everybody. Um, nice to have you with us. Uh, today, Mark and I are talking about um, development planning with your employees. And Mark, I'm excited to be diving in further um, on this with you. How are you doing? Melissa, I just had this epiphany as I was watching you and I was thinking to myself, I think this is our first Catch em, Keep em podcast where we're both in our office. Oh, right? hey, yes. So that's a big win. That is huge. Yeah. Of course, uh, there's no I, one around us, but that's, that's. No. <laughs> we're by ourselves. <laughs> we're here. So, um, no, I'm doing great, Melissa. I, I feel like, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, feeling more positive and happy and promising every day. And uh, I feel like we're starting to gain some momentum. And, you know, one of the things that's weird is sometimes I think we, when we feel positive momentum, especially in the face where there's so much uncertainty, there's almost this attitude, well, I better not get too happy just in case anything happens. <laughs> but I, I think you can feel really good about the direction we're taking. And then at the same time, you know, keep your eyes open and know that there's always things out there that could happen, but I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. I really am. I, this today was um, a great morning where I just, I was excited to talk with you about this because I've been doing a little self-reflection in the last week or so, and really just kind of feeling like I need to come back to some fundamentals. And the timing was so perfect because after we did the webinar last week on the present and future of work, um, kind of also on the heels of our last conversation, we were, we were on the podcast together. Um, I, I think that the development planning that we crafted here at Franklin Professionals and that I've used is, is something that's just really grounded me personally. And so I, I extended it to employees, but um, it's just kind of interesting that I was really driven to, to revisit all of this with you because I think it, I, I consumed too much media, news, and decided I, I need something that I can hang on to and feel certain about. Well, I got to tell you, Melissa, you know, I, I'm really excited about this topic today because I know this is a process, a developmental process you've used and been successful with for some time. And what I particularly like about what we're going to discuss revolving how to empower employees is I'm really, an, I get annoyed with the word empower because I feel like it's such a throwaway line, like, oh, let's empower people or, oh, you know, whatever. But I just feel like there's such a lack of follow through with mm -hmm. empowerment and it's, it's exciting to talk about. So for, for our listeners today, this is something that Melissa has developed and has really used for her clients and, 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 and her company successfully. And what we're really trying to do today is teach you how you can empower your, your employees to have a voice you know, feel heard, know how they can contribute, understand their passion, their purpose, their goals, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I'm excited. Great, great. And, and Mark, I would just add to that too. I, I think one of the things that's been um, so valuable about the development planning process that we have is the clarity that it gives everyone. So, you know, we really put so many things on the table and then uh, create a very clear path uh, that are, that, that drills down into the day-to-day -day behaviors that that are needed in order to achieve what we're trying to achieve together. So it's 
quite comprehensive in that way too. And I can talk a little bit later about, you know, what that process looks like and how, how we kind of drill it into a day, day to day. That'd be great. So, so should we maybe grab a, a, a question? And so I, I love how you can, in such a compassionate way, pick things apart. So that's part of my motivation here, to be honest with you, is that, you know, this is going to be an improved process by the end, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, uh, I oh, know I can count on you for that, and I appreciate it. So um, should we just dive in and cover some of the questions that, that are in this uh, initial employee assessment? I think so, and I'm so appreciate you inserted the word compassionate. It made me feel so much better, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's dive in. That sounds great. All right. So I um, just wanted to talk about one of the uh, questions that's early in the process is which position responsibilities do you view as most important? Um, I, I like this question because it incites me into the person's values. Um, so when I'm when they're explaining to me, it's so interesting when they explain to me what they see as their most important contribution to the company. As I've gotten to know people and I reflect back on the way they answer those questions, that question specifically, it, it always goes straight to the heart of what's important to them. Sometimes it's, it's money to the bottom line. Sometimes it's the way I make people feel, but it always kind of goes right to their heart. Yeah, you know, Melissa, as you're saying that a couple of things are coming into my mind. And first of all, the thing about this process with these questions is it requires you to remind the employees that are filling out this document that it, they're to write down not what you want to hear, not what the company wants to hear, it's what you genuinely and authentically feel. Mm -hmm. And I think what's, what's really powerful about that positional responsibility question is it speaks to such bigger issues because whatever you answer to that question, it's probably going to connect with how you feel you're recognized and appreciated it's going to connect with um, where your passion lies. And it's really the most powerful thing I think it's gonna connect with is where you've received feedback. Because frankly, if you're an employee and you're struggling to answer the positional responsibilities that you view as the most important, if you're not answering it the way you think someone wants to hear and you're struggling answering it, that tells me there is a lack of feedback, there is a lack of recognition, and I think it could really expose a hole or vulnerability in the leadership team. So I think it's a twofold benefit in that question. That's a great point, Mark. I had not considered that before, but I think that you're, you're spot on with that. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, there's another follow-up question um, that relates to it, uh, and I don't ask it immediately. It's a little further down in the questionnaire, and that's, what do you think has been, been your most important contribution? Um, so I like to kind of go away from the topic and then come back around and asking it a little bit of a different way. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested there in seeing what alignment there is in the way that a person uh, answers the question, what do you think is your most important response, your, your responsibility that's the most important contribution to the company, and then kind of drilling that into um, what has been your most important contribution. Um, are those two things aligned with each other? Or, you know, it, 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 it's another way of getting at how do you think you're doing without asking that question. I don't know about you, but I don't think it's a bad question to ask, how do you think you're doing? 
But when I've been asked that in my career, my immediate response was, why? You know, I, I'm braced. I'm Good like, point. oh, something's coming, right? So, um, so that's another way of kind of getting at that. And then in the follow-up, uh, it's a two-part question. So in the follow-up of what are you most proud of, I'm again kind of looking for that alignment. Is, is, is the person's source of pride in their work connected to what they see as being the most important? Or do the, is it something uh, go kind of out of left field that they're proud of that they've done that isn't necessarily even connected to what's most important. That's something that I would examine a little bit further and maybe or maybe not do anything about, but I like, I like to have that insight. Well, I got to tell you, this particular, of all the questions in this document, this one probably resonates the most with me because, you know, over the course of the last few years, um, I, I, we've had so many conversations and I learned so much from you about vetting out candidates and interviewing and thoughtful questions and things like that. But you know, Melissa, I, I, I did something about, I want to, it feels like about a year ago now where I had someone do an exercise. He was really in his early twenties and I had never done this. And I asked this person to, I wrote down in an Excel spreadsheet, there was about 50 skills or responsibilities or things like that. And I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell me, um, first of all, I want you to answer how much you like to do these skills. Second of all, I said, how confident are you in executing these skills? And the other question I asked him is, um, are, where's your passion level lie around these skills? And what I was trying to do is I was trying to vet out so many of us become professionals and we end up doing the things we're told we're good at or things that come naturally to us as opposed to the things we really enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. And so when you ask about contribution, I like really when it comes to contribution as a almost a, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost a little bit of a guide to let people know why you do the job you do and Contribution is interesting because if you feel like you contribute in a certain way, but that's not really, you don't love doing those things, but you know you're contributing in that way, I think it opens the door for a deeper, more meaningful discussion about how do you contribute and even versus how do you want to contribute. Mm -hmm. you know, if, you, if you could contribute in additional ways, what would those ways be, which also exposes perhaps a career path and other directions they want to go within the company. So I just like that as an icebreaker question that can go in a bunch of different directions based on how they answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, all right, I think that we've covered that one. Uh, do you want to talk about least and, and uh, favorite and least favorite aspects of your position? Yeah, and, and I think that's that's a, a good good continuation of where I was just going. I think I think, you know, the one thing that's so interesting, Melissa, about this is so much of, of a developmental document like this so relies on the culture of the organization in terms of the safety that people have in answering. It's almost like a 360 review. You know, you can answer these questions, but A, do you feel like people care? B, do you feel like they're actually going to change anything based on your answers? So I just don't want to rush past that aspect that everything you do as a leadership member to empower a team member relies on follow-up. And, yeah. and so, so this document is only as good as what happens before it 
and what happens after it, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, the least favorite and favorite aspects of your position, what's tricky about this is a lot of people resign themselves to things that they know are just part of their job that they're gonna have to do. And I think the key to this question, I'm interested to get your perspective is, is when someone says these are the least favorite aspects to my position, the question is, um, are there any of those things that you could shift away from them, right? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. And the second thing is when it comes to least favorite aspects, deep probing, rooting, rooting, insightful questions, why is this the least favorite, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because is it because you don't have enough support around you? Is it because you genuinely hate to do it? You know, and I, Melissa, I got to tell you something funny. I was having a, a funny conversation with someone the other day. We were, we were comparing notes on our least favorite chore to do in the house. And the person said, what, did, what was the person's answer? I think they said, I think they said cleaning toilets or cleaning sinks and toilets. And I said, mine was dusting. And so we were joking. I said, I'll clean your toilets and sinks if you do my dusting. But the point I, I'm bringing that up because it speaks to the fact that there's a lot of people who would probably say cleaning sinks and toilets are their least favorite. But why? Like, why is that your least favorite? So I think that question, again, and again, I don't mean to be redundant, but it's what makes this document so wonderful. These are open-ended questions that start a conversation to really discover not just why are these your favorite and least, but how, what are they, but why? Oh, Mark, I, yeah, I mean, I think we, I should have led probably with a disclaimer that said all of these questions either require or they're amplified, mm. but with the follow-up, why? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think too, you know, it's, it's really, it, it's helpful as a manager to hear this feedback on least favorite and, and favorite, and so importantly, why? You know, is it a comfort zone? issue or where you know leaning into the least favorite might not might actually be a good idea with support uh, versus well you know it's extremely redundant and it feels like a waste of time I realize it's a necessary evil but I just don't feel useful when I'm doing it you know that's something I'd like to solve if I can um, and I really think not to go off on a tangent but I really see uh, artificial intelligence is something as we recover from the situation that we've been in economically, I think that's going to be the, um, the uh, result of the disruption, the innovation that kind of springs back and, and there's going to be a, a much broader and faster adoption of AI. So, you know, I'm excited in, in kind of using this kind of feedback with my clients to see where you know they can provide support so humans can do what humans do best. So Melissa, a question for you is this, is so much of great communication is setting expectations. So what are, you know, when you give this tool to your clients to use, how do you guide them on setting expectations when their employees are going through this process about what to expect after it's reviewed and, and, and digested what do you tell the leadership team to communicate to the employees about expectations? Mm. Well, first of all, I think I, I'd have to go go um, a step even back further just to say that unless you can commit to this process and, um, and commit the time and the energy and the open-mindedness as, as a leader to, um, to take action on the information, 
then I recommend, I recommend not, not introducing it at all. So I think that that's my first, you know, kind of, um, my first piece of advice is it's gotta be an all or nothing. Um, the last thing you wanna do is ask people for their feedback and then do nothing with it. You know, it, it's um, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, I, I think that when I'm working with managers, if they're not accustomed to a process like this, then what I'm, I'm encouraging them to do is find, um, find something that they can start working with the employee on, when I say something, uh, two or three items, and have something where you're both marching towards an agreed upon goal, and you're measuring consistently and you know checking in with each other on it and i can talk more about the process in fact maybe now is a good time to just interject a little bit with the process so. Yes. so once the employee has filled out the questionnaire um i take personally the way i i like to do it is take about a week or two weeks to really digest what they've shared and i put together my comments and all of my observations in writing um, and i always give people everything in writing um, a, a bit in advance of the meeting because I like to give them the chance to absorb things before we sit down when we're taught when it's this kind of subject matter. Um, so then when we have a follow up meeting together, me and the employee um, will kind of it's it's more of a brainstorming. It's like, okay, so you had said this and I think that and you know, I saw this and that. And so we just kind of bounce uh, bounce the, the ideas off of each other. It's huge. It can really go into like a two or a three hour um, brainstorming session together and by the end of it we have a plan where we've agreed on four things it's a simple excel spreadsheet that we track these four things on and again it's very collaborative there's things that we say okay this is what you're going to start doing the next category is this is what you're going to stop doing this is what you're going to continue doing or do more of and the um, um sorry oh parking lot. I find especially with millennials, they are so full of ideas and they have such a sense of now, 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 now. So I brought in the parking lot because it, it was getting a bit overwhelming um, with all of these ideas and the urgency of it, but I didn't want to stifle that. So we have um, one list that, you know, we'll talk about something and say, that's a fabulous idea. I know you could benefit from that. Is that, and then I just guide them back to, is that going to help you in the immediate term with what we've said is the most important things for you right now? And just kind of let them, you know, tell me if how critical it is to them. So we collaborate on that and it might be an action item, but it might be a parking lot item. So Melissa, I, I, I got to challenge you on something. You know, I, I, I feel like annual reviews at companies are like birthdays. You know, we make all this big deal once a year about all these things and then we don't hear from them again for another year. My question for you is, when I hear you describe this process, you don't have to convince me. I, I, I totally see the value in it. And frankly, I love when you said two to three hours because to me, if you're coaching and developing another human being, like two to three hours is actually a really small amount of time but God forbid, right? Because everybody's so busy. My point, my question for you and where I challenge is, but then what? You know, you take the time, you do the two to three hours, you got the spreadsheet going, you got the categories. 
But then what? Like, do we talk about this at any time in the next year after that? Like, what happens? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. So we talk about it every single week in a one-on-one. -on -one. And the, the, the start, stop, keep, and parking lot, doesn't, it doesn't take much time at all. It's just check in, make sure it's still on the radar. You know, are, did you start that? No? Okay. So you're doing that this week, right? <laughs> or, you know, however that conversation goes. Um, so we touch on that. And my one-on-ones are very simple because I, I feel like performance management or, you know, developing employees, it has to be, uh, or coaching has to be timely to me, timely, consistent, and simple. It, if it's too complicated, it falls apart. So when we meet weekly, we have four topics that, we're, that we go over um, real quick. Uh, it's 10, maybe 20 minutes tops, but we do what went well, which I learned from a great man. <laughs> we, we go over learning and training, challenges that they need help with, and goals, goals for the next week. So it's a, how'd you do this week? Did you meet your goals? And then what are the goals for next week? Two goals, Look, maybe. When you do those meetings, how, how much time do you allot for the meetings typically? And how long do they take on average, do you find? I allot an hour in case it's needed, but sometimes it's as little as 10 minutes, typically so, 20. So I just want to share a, a, a quick anecdote. I think you'll get a kick out of relating to exactly what you're talking about. So since COVID started, my family started doing these uh, Sunday night Zoom meetings. And it, it became a point of contention that we were doing it every Sunday night. And one of my brothers said, you know, I don't really have that much to add every week. Like, there's not that a lot that happens week to week. And so it just kind of struck me as, okay, well, I mean, I could still find a minute or two of things to talk about, even if it wasn't, but that's neither here nor there. My point in bringing it up is when leadership thinks about performance management or coaching, one of the things they get very fearful about is the time suck, right? So here you are, you're talking about weekly meetings, one hour sessions. So it's like now the managers are going to go like, oh my God, four hours, you want me to find four hours in my month? Oh my God, how am I going to do that? Mm -hmm. But what I think, why I asked Melissa the question I just did, and I, and I expected her to answer it is because it doesn't end up taking four hours. If you do it consistently, there isn't a lot to talk about because you kept the lines of communication open along the way. And this is the whole thing. But, but, but Melissa, why I've always loved this also, my final thought is, it also shows that you, the employee, are a priority. You're gonna be built into my schedule mm -hmm. so we can have it. And great, if it only takes 10 minutes, then yay, we found more time and we go about our day. But I just, I just wanted to make that analogy because it is funny, the fear of time being so precious when it doesn't really evolve that way and taking that much time. Agreed, and, and I think that, you know, it, in my experience, it's actually a time saver hmm. because it, it just keeps everybody moving. And, you know, when we, nobody's sitting on a question for a month trying to figure it out for themselves because they don't want to ask me. I'm specifically carving out time every week to say, what challenges have you not solved for yourself? Run them by me. Because if I can give you, you know, in two minutes, something that can send you on your way to a solution, I'd rather, I'd rather work that way than to find out a month down the line that you're, you're stalled on something because you're still haggling with it. So. Now, now Melissa, do you, do you see, you know, 
with a lot of work reopening right now, and you know, I know you and I have spoken about how everybody's mindsets in kind of different places, right? From an organizational perspective, they're in one spot, the individual employees, people coming back are gonna have their head in different places. So this, this developmental process, do you see this as really optimal timing? Like, is this an optimal time knowing that people will have done a lot of self-reflection is this the right time to do something like this for the exact reason that people are discovering new things? I, I really do. I think that, you know, this is something we normally do in January. Well, we key, we key it up in, in the latter part of December and then the meetings start in January uh, just because it is that there's that sense of like closing out one chapter, starting a new chapter. And this is the time to be, you know, kind of just in that kind of vibe. And man, are we ever in, you know, this sense of like one chapter has been closed and we're creating this new chapter. So I totally uh, agree that, you know, there's, my advice is always, it's like in buying real estate, the, the, the best time to buy is as soon as you can. And the best time to start developing employees as soon as you can. But I think we have definitely got uh, an added kind of benefit in the way that you know the mind the minds of people by and large right now are just in a, a mode of shifting so that we've got an, an opportunity to take advantage of this mindset shift so let's Melissa, let's talk about goals for a minute because that fits perfectly into this document and i want to why that's a that's a topic also i'm passionate about is because I really, I, I mentioned this in our, in our panel discussion we were invited to be a part of, that I feel like goals, we, we, employees are not often allowed to create their own goals or empowered or encouraged to create their own goals. And so typically the, the dynamic at many companies is you're told, here are your metrics, here are your goals, here's what you should be working towards, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it shouldn't be instead of having put someone create their own goals, it should be an addition to. And so I guess I just wanted to bring up that, talk about, you know, when you set personal goals for your team, for yourself, what, what are the things you are really trying to cover? So if, if people are gonna to try to empower their, their teams to create goals, what's the most important aspects in your mind of setting goals? Uh, well, I think that you just hit on it and that is that the goals are coming from the individual they're not being handed to the person. Uh, in my experience with employees um, setting goals, you know, um, the idea of not having goals set for yourself was foreign to me. And it's been so interesting to see how many employees I've hired. I'm, I'm just guessing at this number, but I'm gonna say 80% of the people that I have hired and I introduce the, well, I, I, I ask them, what are the goals that you have set for yourself? I ask that question in the interview process, um, and I ask it, um, uh, you know, again when we when we work together. And I would say 80% of people don't have answers. They, you know, they they may answer with, "Oh, I'd like to do this," or "I'd like to do that," but they have not any formal kind of goal uh, setting process for themselves. And the feedback that I've received, and the even the observations that I've had of employees once they go through the process and have goals established for themselves, that it's almost like there's this light that comes on for them. And there's this new energy that I see in them. 
So it's, it's really exciting. And I, you know, when I approach it with employees, I'm very broad. It's a very broad sweep. I'm just, you know, I just want you to have goals and I give them a target of 10. And if they don't want to share every single goal with me, it's totally fine. Um, it's for them. Yeah. And Melissa, I want to talk about, from my perspective, what I call the lost category of goals, right? Mm -hmm. So you have professional goals and you have personal goals. I mean, these are, these are the two categories, right? but there's a middle category that I think gets lost and I call it personal professional goals, right? So what I'm thinking of is if you look at this document, when Melissa was referring to uh, what positional responsibilities do you view as most important? Let's go back to that. Let's say something came out of that discussion that there was a responsibility they see really important, but they don't necessarily excel at that responsibility yet, right? They, they could see it as important, but they don't see. And let's say to become better at that responsibility, they need to work on time management or they need to work on problem solving skills. This is where the personal professional goals come in. What are the skills, the qualities, the competence areas that you see that you want to work on to help you achieve your personal or professional goals? So I just think that's a lost category. And, um, you know, spending more time with family and work-life balance and losing weight and getting to the gym. I mean, those are great. Those are the personal goals. But I do feel like there is a middle category that gets lost. I think that's such a great point. Um, Mark, you reminded me, I, I wish I could remember the author's name, but there was a book I read once um, that uh, had a kind of a, a cheat sheet for approaching goal setting. If you haven't approached goal setting, like in a holistic way. So if you imagine a pie and each slice has a, an area of life, spiritual, emotional, uh, personal relationships, job, um, you know, whatever, whatever uh, other categories one might want to include. Um, and then you, it, however you feel that you're doing in that category of life, if you were to just color it in, and then as you look at the pie, um, whatever areas you have of white space, maybe consider uh, weighing more goals in those areas mm. to support, to bring up some support so you have a, a bit better balance. It's just a, a concept that I, I remembered that was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, and I also think that that's a great concept. And I also think that what's really important too about goals is it's one thing to have a goal. It's another thing to have an understanding on how, what that path looks like to achieve it. And so I think a lot of people set goals with best intentions, right? They want to, they want to achieve them. But part of this exercise is you wrote, what goals have you set for yourself during the next year? And the follow-up question is, do you have a plan for how you're going to achieve each of those goals? Mm -hmm. So I think that's critical because a lot of people just don't know how to create a plan like that. And a lot of people don't know how to determine their why. And the best example, a fun example I always like to give is, if your New Year's resolution is to lose weight and you tell me that and I say, okay, well, why is that a goal? And they say, well, I just want to look better. I say, well, you're not going to hit your goal because that's not a real why. You know, why do you want to look better? You know, what is it? Do you, do you don't have as many friends. You're an outcast. Like, I'm not trying to be mean, but that's, right. that's the thing. So you've got to understand your why. You've got to understand the plan. And, uh, and so I think that that's, I mean, all these questions are critical, but I think everything it begins and starts with that. Yeah, I agree. And you know, Mark, as you were talking, I'm, I'm, there, there are so many components, I think, to goal setting and employee development. And, you know, managers, 
I find in my experience, a lot of managers are, are they already have a full-time job of their own. Now, you know, leading other people, you know, they, in a lot of cases, they're, they have individual contributions that they're making to the team. And then they're also in a position where they're leading others. So it, I, I see a lot of times that the coaching falls by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious from your experience, what, would, what do you think is the number one obstacle for managers in effectively coaching and developing their people? Well, I, I, I think what it starts with is there's a lot of things we do professionally that we're really never taught how to do. Like if you become a leader at an organization, no one sits down with you. The CEO doesn't sit down with you. Okay, let's spend a day together talk about how to coach your employees. Let's spend a day together to talk about how to help them set you know, smart goals. So I think there's an assumed skill set that, that we're supposed to have in a lot of cases and we don't. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the answer to your question is this. The number one most important skill set in performance management and coaching to me is knowing how to motivate and relate to people. And I'm going to tell you that um, we have this box checking phenomenon going on where, you know, people know they're supposed to be empathetic. People know they're supposed to listen. They're supposed to ask questions. There's a lot of communication and emotional intelligence skills. People know. It's not, it's not like, oh, you were supposed to be empathetic. I didn't know that. The problem is that everybody's rushing around so much that they don't slow down enough to take the time to motivate and inspire others. And so when I say a box check, if your approach to coaching is, well, I know I'm supposed to do this. All right. So Melissa told me I'm supposed to have a coaching meeting every week. Okay. Well, I want to do what's right. So I'm going to do that. But if you don't go into it with the spirit of motivating and connecting the people that work for you, it won't work and people will see through it. They'll see that you're not invested in them or the process. So I really think that's it, Melissa. And I, and I, I believe in the bottom of my heart that that singular skill of knowing how to find the formula to motivate another human being, I feel like that is such a small percentile of leaders that have that specific skill. It's, it's staggering. I, I really think very, very few leaders know how to do that effectively. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I, I number one agree so much, and and I feel like that's uh, for me, it was an um, naturally maybe why I gravitate towards uh, finding out from the person what their their goals are, because I I just don't know any other way to really go about it, um, but to to go go to the personal level, and it's it's funny because. I've had conversations with people about, well, how much should you be prying into their personal life? And, you know, and, and when I first started the process, it did feel a little funny, you know, and, and I had some employees that were like, oh, like, you really want me to tell you, like, that the fact that I'm trying to lose 20 pounds, you want me to, like, you want to talk about that, you know, and, but man, it just, it's like a fast track to, to connection. And once employees saw that, I think once employees see that a manager is interested in that uh, connection with them, it's just a natural, um, it, it, it's just, it, it's just this natural 
um, thing that happens where they 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 open up um, and they're, they're honest and candid and it, uh, it just makes life so much easier. Yeah, and, 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 and actually there's so many people, you hit it right on the head, a lot of people aren't comfortable sharing their goals or, or a little skeptical that the other person would be interested. And there's a technique, Melissa, I talk about in sales. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about it. It's called happy ears. Does that ring a bell at all? No, okay. I've not heard, heard of that. So happy ears is as a salesperson, when you are talking to a prospect and you're trying to understand their pain centers, right? So if it was recruiting, let's say the, you're asking questions and the prospect says, yeah, we just can't find good people. We, we, we just can't get people to stay even when we find good people. Happy years would be you getting all excited that you found the pain centers. And, and what happy years does is it, it takes away your sense of curiosity and you're wanting to ask more specific questions because as a salesperson, you're so happy you got the pain centers that you're just ready to start selling and keep moving. You with me? Yep. So with leadership, there's an element of happy ears with leadership also, because when you have this conversation, knowing a lot of people have trouble articulating their thoughts and feelings, that when you're sitting at the table with someone and they're like, okay, so talk to me about your goals. And let's just say off the top of their head, they rattle two or three goals off. You're, as a leader, you're like, great. They're really in touch with their feelings and emotions. Great. You got your goals. Let's move on to the next question. As opposed to, wow, that's a really interesting goal. Why did you pick that one? Why is that important to you? How would that make you more engaged here? Why would that make you want to stay here? This is, that's what happy years gets in the way of. It's asking deep, insightful, meaningful questions. And it just occurred to me as you were talking, it happens in leadership just the same way it happens in sales. Oh my God, I'm so guilty. Yeah, I, I, I know I've done that be, my, myself um, a lot. I mean, I hear a goal that, that aligns with my, uh, my interests and I'm all like, all right, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. okay, good. So let's go to the final part to this and because this one's really interesting. This one may be the most complex at all, Melissa. Um, and this is, this is not the final, just as a precursor to everybody, there's, a lot, there's more questions than what we're discussing today, but this is the last one we're going to tackle today. And that is uh, the support and guidance that has worked best from your supervisor. And wow, talk about a loaded question. That's, that's a really powerful gate. Oh, the word I was trying to think of before was gateway. It's really a gateway into someone's soul even. So, you know, what, what do you, Melissa, when that question's asked, you know, what are you hoping to hear? Not, not that you want a specific answer, but what's, what's the end result of what you want to learn from that answer? I really hope for as much specific, specific tangible um, examples as I can get. So that's what I'm, I'm digging into. Um, if, and, and what I get a lot because of the way our business is structured, I think, is um, people commenting that having the real-time coaching on a day-to-day -day is the most valuable and, know, and, and knowing that they can go with whatever they need help with and they're not, they don't have to be afraid of asking a question. That, those are typically the, the top tier responses that I get. But I really want to know, you know, is it pre-recorded videos, um, having the opportunity to watch pre-recorded videos? Do you like things in writing? Do you need both? 
do you want uh, opportunity for hands-on? I've had feedback that, you know, if we could make a game out of it, you know, the gamification. Um, and, you know, that's, guidance as a whole, it's such a broad, broad topic, you know, guidance is, it covers the, uh, you know, the, the, ta the tactical ways that we do the job. But then there's the wisdom aspect, you know, and just especially in our business, we're, we're making judgments. Pe people are coming in and in a short amount of time, they're in a position where they have to be able to form good judgments. So um, I think that, you know, I just like to personally, I like to hear from people kind of where they're at in terms of the guidance that they're looking for and the best way for them to receive it. Yeah, that, those are big. Um, and, and adding to that, I would say that um, what's tricky about this question, and it's such a critical question, is most people are reluctant to advocate for themselves for guidance and support. So, you know, so much of being an effective leader is creating that safety and non-judgmental zone where people can reach out without feeling like they're going to be judged or feel stupid or whatever. But what's also interesting to me is feedback because feedback is really complex with guidance and support because a lot of people perceive wanting feedback as being high maintenance. You know, if I, if, I, if I work for you, Melissa, and you said, Mark, tell me how I can be more supportive and guide you. And I said, well, Melissa, to be honest, you know, I would really like to receive feedback on every project I turn in just to make sure I'm doing it the right way. Well, that, that might be taken the wrong way, right? Well, do you really need feedback on every project? So part of the stickiness of getting guidance and support is having someone feel safe to communicate what they need. But this is big, Melissa, not confusing your own need with their need. So if you're a person that doesn't need a lot of recognition or doesn't need a lot of feedback because you perceive that as high maintenance, then if that's how you manage, you're missing out because they might need that. So Point being, you just have to be really aware of if you're managing based on your own preferences or your staff's preferences and also making it comfortable for people to speak up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Mark, as you're talking, I'm thinking maybe maybe on a future podcast we could talk about this. But, you know, when you express to people that you are interested in their feedback, you know, all of it, um, it you, you, you need to be ready. <laughs> and if you do it the right way, you know that you've, you've communicated your message effectively when you get negative feedback. When someone is willing and they have the courage to tell you as their manager that I don't think that you supported me well in this way, or I don't think, you know, there's, when they give you feedback about your performance um, that's not comfortable, then that um, that's something I think as a manager, you want to be embracing and realizing, number one, the courage it takes them to tell you. And number two, uh, the, the value, because you know, it, people pay good money for, for consultants to come in and do 360 degree reviews. So if you can create a, a culture um, and real-time communication with people where they're willing and, and um, you know, forthcoming with things that you're not, uh, you know, necessarily wanting to hear, um, but you need to hear. That's, um, I think that that that's priceless. But you got to be ready for it. 
Well, Melissa, my final thought for today is um, I feel a hundred times stronger than even what you said. And I'll tell you specifically what I mean. When you're in a leadership position, I don't care whether you're a coach, you're a teacher, you're a parent, a sports coach, um, a boss, I don't care what you are. You can shape that person's confidence for the rest of their career. That's a responsibility. Someone asks you for feedback, you have a responsibility to not crush their confidence, to know how to convey response and feedback. And if you don't, that could change the person's direction of their life. And I don't care if people listening think that's overstating or embellishing, because it isn't. You know, it's so hard for people to do this. And if they open the door and they feel confident enough in you to open the door, then you better be responsible and deliver in your responsibility. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Wow. Had not thought about it in that context. That's powerful. Yeah. Big job. Yeah. <laughs> yes. On that sobering note. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, all right. Yeah. So. Well, uh, Mark, just in closing, um, I just would like to say that, you know, the development planning worksheet that we've been kind of touching on through this conversation is something that I'm certainly happy to share with anybody who's interested. Um, my email address is on the back slide if, if this is a YouTube video. And if it's um, a podcast, just the audio, then um, email is mglenny at franklinprofessionals.com. And I'm happy to email that off to anybody that would like to have it. And I just want to say my final thought for today is, you know, I just want to say out of respect to Melissa, you know, I think that it's interesting when I think of a company that does recruiting and staffing and all those buckets, I think it can get very pigeonholed. Companies like this can get very pigeonholed in determining how they can help. And one of the reasons, um, and she's not even paying me to say this, one of the reasons that um, what Melissa really brings to the table is a much broader expertise around development and engagement and retention and these kinds of things we're talking about in the Catch Em Keep Em podcast. So just a shout out to Melissa for the, uh, the breadth of your knowledge and skill set in doing things like this, because I continue to learn and it's really great. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. And thanks for your input. I, 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 I knew it going into this, that this was going to be improved and it, it's going to go out and improved. So thank you for that. Outstanding. All right. Well, thanks again. Right. We'll see you next time. All right. Take good care. Thanks for joining us on the Catch Em and Keep Em podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss us next time. In the meantime, remember that engaging your people is a daily task and recruiting is a process, not an event. If you need help, just ask. Connect directly with Melissa at franklinprofessionals.com and Mark at mindsetgo.com.